Let's pray once again together. Father, that is what we want to express today, that you are worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. Your name is to be blessed. Father, we pray that that would not just be something that we sing, but that it would truly reflect who we are on the inside, that it would reflect our heart's cry, that we see our profound need for you and we respond in praise, we respond in gratitude because your grace has triumphed, because you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Lord, that crowd that cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of them understood, some of them did not understand the full weight and the ramifications of what it meant for Jesus to come and to live and to die and to rise again. Father, we pray that you would help us this day. We pray that we would understand rightly, that we would think clearly, that we would worship appropriately in response to who Jesus is and what he has done. Lord, as you opened blind Bartimaeus' eyes, may you open our eyes to see and to behold the glory and the goodness of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open once again to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. As we've already sung about this morning, as, as we've already recognized, there are lots of reasons why we should love and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He is indeed, he's worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our attention, worthy of our devotion for a plethora of reasons. We can and should stand amazed at the glory of Christ. We should. We should stand amazed at the glory of Christ. He is, in fact, God of very God. The God who left the glories of heaven to come to earth, to be born in Bethlehem, to be clothed in flesh, to live and to walk among sinful, needy people. We can and should stand amazed at the power of Jesus Christ. What demon could ever successfully oppose him? What disease can kill when Jesus chooses to heal? What storm can rage and endure when Jesus commands peace and calm to his creation? We can and should stand amazed at the grace of Jesus, at the self-sacrificing love of Jesus, at the condescending compassion mercy of Jesus. What broken sinner did Jesus turn away? What humble cry for help did Jesus ignore? What sin can overpower, outgun, outmaneuver, or overwhelm the triumphant grace of Jesus Christ? Yes, there are many reasons why we should praise and worship and adore Christ. And yet, having said all of that, it is also true that there are wrong reasons for seeking Christ. There are even insufficient reasons to admire Jesus and to appreciate Him. For example, it is wrong to seek Christ merely as an intellectual, interesting, moral philosopher. It's wrong to think thoughts like, well, He's just, he's just one of many. I mean, yeah, he's, he's interesting, but He's not authoritative. He's brilliant, 
But he's not worthy of worship. He's a, he's a historical giant, to be sure. But let's not get carried away with talk of blessed be the name of the Lord, right? It's, it's also wrong to seek after Jesus as some kind of religious entertainment. It's wrong to say to Jesus, come on, Jesus, do a trick for us. Show us some sign. Remember, Jesus, you're only as good as your last miracle. No, remember that when Pilate heard that Jesus was a Galilean, he was glad. Why? Because he could gladly ship him off to Herod. To let Herod deal with Jesus. To let Herod, let Jesus be Herod's problem. Well, do you remember how Herod received Jesus when Pilate sent him to him? Luke records that Herod was glad. He was he was happy to see Jesus. We read in Luke 23, verse 8, it says, When Herod saw Jesus... He was very glad. Oh, it sounds like Herod's a believer. He's glad to see Jesus. He says, for he had longed to desire to see him. But notice what the text says next. Because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Jesus was just entertainment to Herod. Some clever miracle worker. It's wrong to seek Jesus as merely a means to physical wealth and prosperity. I mean, come on, Jesus, let me in on the winning Powerball numbers and we can we can split the winnings. I will gladly donate 50% to a charity of your choosing and I will humbly accept the rest. Come on, Jesus, I know I haven't studied for this test, but I need a good grade. I need you to help me out and give me the answers. I will do something real nice for you later. Come on, Jesus. What does it take to make a bargain with you? What quarters do I have to put in what cosmic vending machine to get the candy that I want? Remember, it was Jesus who challenged and confronted the crowds who were seeking him merely to get another free meal. Jesus said in John 6:26, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, right? You're, you're not even interested in seeing miracles anymore. And then he says this, but because you ate your fill of, of the loaves. Now, brothers and sisters, food is wonderful. Food is a wonderful thing, but Jesus is so much more than just a free coupon to a happy meal. It's wrong to seek Jesus as some mere political, culture-changing revolutionary who will enact all of your favorite domestic and international policies. I mean, today is Palm Sunday, that time when Jesus went into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet it is so obvious that so many who were there did not understand the reason for His coming. So many did not understand the profoundness and the depth of His redemptive work. So many just wanted Him to be a political hero who would crush the Romans. The point I'm trying to make is this. Please note this on your outline. Motive matters in coming to Jesus. Motive matters. It does. Why do you want Jesus? 
Why do you want to follow him? I mean, provided that you do want to follow him. What do you see about him that is worthy of your attention and your worship? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Well, this morning, we have the privilege to go back to an event that happened right before Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. We get to go back and we get to look at the very last healing miracle that is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. We get to see a glimpse of the life and testimony of a blind man named Bartimaeus. And as we do so, we should be asking ourselves questions. Questions like, why does Mark record this event right before the triumphal entry? What did this blind man see that so many in the crowds did not see? What was this blind man seeking after that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not seeking after? What did blind Bartimaeus believe about Jesus that we would do well to believe also? If you're in Mark 10, look again at verse 46. We read, And they came to Jericho, And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Stop there for a moment. Please note this on your outline. Here we see a, the personal, somewhat mysterious introduction. All right, we are given a lot of information about some random guy that is sitting by the roadside. First of all, it's strange that we know his name. His name is Bartimaeus. Who cares? Do you care what his name is? Why is this man's name recorded in Scripture? Why is his father's name recorded? Why is this level of detail important? Well, perhaps God wanted you to know his name so that when you meet him in heaven, you'll be able to say hello to him without any kind of awkward introduction. Or perhaps this man's name is included because he would have been known to Mark's original audience. Perhaps this man who started life as a blind beggar became a well-known figure in the early church there in Jerusalem. Perhaps this man who will be healed, who will follow Jesus, he will become a witness and a testimony to the saving power of Christ. So, yes, his name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, the man who, although he was blind, he saw what was true of Christ. Read next, verse 47. Verse 47 says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. B, note this on your outline. Here we see the prophetic, the messianic identification. The identification. Now, this is, this is so interesting. When Bartimaeus hears that it is Jesus of Nazareth who is passing by, He does not cry out, as we would expect him to cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth, pay attention to me. Jesus of Nazareth, I'm over here. I'm over here, Jesus of Nazareth. No, he doesn't say that. He yells upon hearing that this is Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And in saying this, Bartimaeus is in good company. 
He is in good company. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, here it is. Are you aware of the fact that in the Gospel of Mark, there are only two people who ever refer to Jesus as the son of David? One is, of course, Bartimaeus, and the other is Jesus himself. Please note it on your outline. In the Gospel of Mark, only Bartimaeus and Jesus himself will use this messianic title, Son of David, to refer to Christ. Bartimaeus was blind, but he could see to the truth of who this one is, that he is the Son of David. I love in his commentary what D. Edmund Hebert writes about this title, saying, it was a recognized messianic title. So, stop there. In other words, Bartimaeus knows what he is doing at this time. By calling someone the son of David, this had messianic implications. This was an important title. It was a recognized messianic title and called and recalled the divine promises made to King David. It embodied the nationalistic hopes of Israel as centered in the promised greater son of David. It acclaimed the royal estate and function of the Messiah and acknowledged the kingly rights of one so addressed. From what Bartimaeus had heard, Jesus was not just some traveling important teacher, not just some talented healer, not just a gifted politician. No, Jesus is the Son of David. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that we have been looking for, that we have been longing for. All the promises of God have been leading up to the arrival of this one. And so this explains why Bartimaeus says what he says at the end of verse 47, where he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Please note this on your outline. See, we see the passionate, the mercy-seeking exclamation. Or if you don't like that word exclamation, you could substitute the word petition. We see this passionate, mercy-seeking petition. Bartimaeus is asking for help. He is asking for compassion and for attention from Christ. And that is the right Thing to do. We are right to seek mercy and understanding in Christ. Now, having said that, how well developed is Bartimaeus's theology at this moment? We don't know. What kind of grade would Bartimaeus have gotten in a systematic theology class? We don't know. But what we do know is that Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus as the son of David, as the promised one, and he appeals to Jesus for what? He appeals to Jesus for mercy. He seems to know that Jesus is the one you need to seek to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And in this, Bartimaeus sets a wonderful example for us. Bartimaeus, he acts and he speaks in harmony with Scripture. He does. He acts and he speaks in harmony of Scripture. For example, why do I say this? For example, Ephesians 2.4 begins this way. But God being rich in mercy. Who is God? What is God? He is rich in mercy. 
He has an abundance of mercy. God is not lacking in the mercy department. God is not indifferent to the cries of hurting and needy people. Jesus is attentive. He is listening to those who call out to Him. This is why we read later in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul writes that He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but how? But according to His own mercy. God delights to show mercy. God is glorified when His mercy is seen and it is shown and it is put on display in the lives of needy people. This is why Paul could write again in Romans 10:11, saying, For the Scripture says, Everyone... Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, here is blind Bartimaeus calling out to Jesus calling out for mercy. And that is so good. And that is so glorious. That's such a wonderful example for us. And we will come back to that example in just a moment. But at this time, we need to recognize that there's a problem. There, there is a problem. You, you noticed it in the text. Bartimaeus is causing a scene. He is. He is yelling. That is awkward. He is making people feel uncomfortable. That is awkward. Many do not appreciate his yelling. Many do not appreciate uh, him giving such voice to his problems and to his issues and to his desire to see Jesus. Look at verse 48. It says, And many, how many? Many, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Bartimaeus, nobody cares. Stop talking. Would you just be quiet? Nobody's interested in hearing about your needs. I mean, you got to love the compassion of this crowd, right? I mean, this crowd who is at this moment following Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this does remind us, does it not? Not everybody who follows Jesus follows Jesus. Not, not everybody who is there in the crowd appreciating Jesus has anything like the heart of Jesus, has anything like the compassion of Jesus and, 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 and the mercy of Jesus. And yet here is Bartimaeus now being rebuked, being told to shut up and to stop talking because you are really causing a commotion. What is he going to do? This is a discouraging thing. He's, here he is being rebuked, being told to stop talking. But Bartimaeus is firmly convinced of something. He is firmly convinced of the truth that he needs to see Jesus. He needs Jesus. So Bartimaeus believes that what Jesus has to offer, that's what he desperately needs. And so we read at the end of verse 48, But he cried out all the more 
Son of David, have mercy on me. Please note this on your outline. Here we see the persistent and the marvelous determination. They kept telling him to be quiet and he kept yelling louder and louder. Bartimaeus was like, I will see your rebuke and I will raise you 20 decibels. I will listen to your complaints and to your harsh comments and I will double the volume. Now, why is he so rude? Why is Bartimaeus just so loud and so rude? Why won't he just be quiet? Because he knows that Jesus is his only hope. He will not be pushed away from Christ. I think in some ways Bartimaeus is a good, living, breathing example of a very perplexing statement that Jesus made in Matthew eleven twelve, where Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I think the point that Jesus is making here and the subtle implication and the question is, do you see the value of Christ? Do you see the value of the kingdom of of Christ and being a part of his kingdom? Do you want what Jesus offers? Do you want the grace and the mercy that is found in Christ? Do you recognize your need for him? If so, then wonderful. Don't let anyone lead you away from him. Don't let anyone tell you to stop seeking or coming to Christ. I like what... J.C. Ryle writes in his commentary on Mark about this verse. He writes, Let all who wish to be saved mark well this conduct of Bartimaeus and walk diligently in his steps. Like him, we must care nothing what others think and say of us when we seek the healing of our souls. There never will be wanting people who will tell us that it is too soon or too late that we are going too fast or too far, that we need not pray so much or read our Bible so much. We must give no heed to such people. Like Bartimaeus, we must cry the more, Jesus, have mercy on me. And when, when we come to understand something of our true condition without Jesus apart from Christ, then and only then, will we rightly call out for mercy as Bartimaeus did? Now, listen, friend, the flip side of that coin is this, okay? The flip side of that coin is this. If you are here this morning and you are thinking, I'm not sure I need mercy. I'm not, I'm not sure I really have much need of Christ. I, I checked myself out this morning. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good guy. I got my act together. I kind of belong on Jesus' varsity team. I mean, out of all my friends, I, I deserve to go to heaven the most. I'm maybe not a straight A student, but I'm pretty good. If that is you, you will never feel what Bartimaeus felt. You will never cry out for Jesus. You will never cry out for mercy as, as he did. Because your need for Jesus is very small. And in that, friend, I want to tell you, you are wrong. Your need for Jesus is not very small. Your need for Christ is immense. Your need for His grace and for His mercy is incalculable. It is. 
It is. Um, again, to quote our friend J.C. Ryle, he explained it like this. He said, what is the reason that men are so half-hearted in seeking Christ? Why are they so deterred and checked and discouraged in drawing near to God? The answer is short and simple. They do not feel sufficiently their own sins. They are not thoroughly convinced of the plague of their own hearts and the disease of their own souls. Once let a man see his own guilt as it really is, and he will never rest till he has found pardon and peace in Christ. It is they who, like Bartimaeus, really know their own deplorable condition, who persevere like Bartimaeus and are finally healed. Or, to say it another way, to quote a more reputable source, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Brothers and sisters, for good reason, Bartimaeus will not be quiet. He will continue to seek after the Lord Jesus Christ, for he sees that his need is great. And for those who know that their need is great, for those who cry out for mercy, perhaps the most important question now before us is, how does God respond? How does Jesus respond here? Look at the first three words of verse 49. And Jesus stopped. He stopped for that? Yes. He stopped for that. He stopped for that cry for mercy, for that blind man who knew his need as the good shepherd, as the great physician, as the merciful, compassionate, sympathetic high priest. Jesus stops and he listens and he hears this cry for help. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And what follows is so good. Notice in verse 50 how Bartimaeus now responds to the call of Christ, to this invitation. It says, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. No one could keep Bartimaeus from coming to Jesus. He, notice as the text says, what does he do with his cloak? He throws it off. You say, who cares? He's blind. He throws off his cloak. Does he need that cloak? Yes, he does. How's he going to find it again? He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He won't let anything keep him from coming to Christ. He doesn't need his cloak as much as he needs Christ. Friend, listen, there is nothing worth clinging to if it keeps you from Christ. There is nothing worth having in your life if it keeps you from Jesus. Bartimaeus, I think rightly so, shows us that attitude. He's willing to throw off anything in order to come to Christ. This is what he desires. Next, look at verse 51. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. Please note this on your outline, E. We see the precise and this meaningful conversation. Now I know at first glance it probably doesn't look very meaningful, but it is. It has a lot to teach us if we have eyes to see. First of all, I think we should be struck by by Jesus' question. Does that surprise you? It, it surprises me. It surprised me this week as studying this and reading about this. I mean, Jesus, this blind man comes to him. and What does Jesus say? He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm blind. Isn't it, isn't it obvious? Is Jesus ignorant? Does he really not know? Or is Jesus just being insensitive here? You know, making the man spell out exactly what it is that he wants. Friend, listen, Jesus is not ignorant. Jesus is not insensitive. But he does want for Bartimaeus to publicly express his faith through his request. What is it? that Bartimaeus wants Jesus to do? What is it that Bartimaeus believes that Jesus can do? Please note this on your outline. And friends, this is so much bigger than just Jesus and Bartimaeus. This involves us. Note this on your outline by God asking us to come to Him, to pray to Him, to specifically confess our many needs for Him it does several things. Number one, it cultivates relationship. God desires relationship with us, with His people. He wants us to come to Him and to speak to Him in prayer. It cultivates relationship. It humbles us. And that is so good because our tendency is towards such pride and such arrogance. It does. It humbles us to again and again confess our needs and our longings for God and for His provision. It humbles us. And number three, it expresses our faith. It expresses our trust. It expresses our confidence in God. It expresses that. This is a good thing. Jesus is doing, I, 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 I would remind you, Jesus is doing a work in Bartimaeus' heart and life to bring him to himself. Jesus does not just want to heal a blind man, pat him on the head, and send him on his way. No, no. Jesus wants to heal blind Bartimaeus. He does. He wants to do that, but he wants to do more than that. He's not going to do less than that, but he is going to do more than that. He's looking to do a work in the heart and in the mind of Bartimaeus. He wants to develop a disciple he wants to draw a broken man to himself. He wants to restore what sin has destroyed. Jesus is about so much more than just playing a miraculous optometrist here. Bartimaeus's life will forever be changed because of this encounter with Christ. So go ahead, Bartimaeus. Say it. Say it. What is it that you desire Jesus to do for you? Let's hear it. At the end of verse 51, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Rabbi, do a miracle. 
I believe you can do this. I trust in you to do this. Jesus, heal me. I know that you can. Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Lastly, for this morning, we see F on your outline, the powerful and the the monumental transformation. Yes, yes, Bartimaeus received his sight. His eyes, once again, functioned properly. But more importantly, Bartimaeus has now come face to face with Jesus. Bartimaeus has experienced the mercy and the grace and the power of God. Bartimaeus knows that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the promised Savior from God. And and, and believe it or not, this short closing verse contains at least three instructive ironies for us. Three things that at first glance don't really seem to go together, but they do go together. There are three things in this verse that should make us stop and think, wait a minute, how does that work? How do those things go together? Why does he say that? Why does he do that? What about that? This verse should cause us to stop and to think and to examine ourselves, as we'll see. So let's take them one by one. Number one, first noted on your outline, the first instructive irony that we see is that contrast between Jesus' command and Bartimaeus' decision to follow Jesus. Did you, did you notice the very first thing that, that Jesus says to Bartimaeus in verse 52 is, is, is this. It sounds surprising. It sounds shocking. Why does Jesus say this? He says to him, Go your way. Go your way. Fine. I will heal you. Now go ahead. Choose your path. What will it be, Bartimaeus? Go your way. Essentially, it sounds like Jesus is almost cutting him loose. Putting before him the decision now to make. Go home. Go your way. Go back to work. Go to the grocery store. Go get something to eat. Bartimaeus... Go your way. What will it be? Notice how the verse ends with Bartimaeus following Jesus on the way. Bartimaeus does make his choice and he makes the right choice. It's almost as if Bartimaeus says to Jesus through his actions, Go your way. My way is with you. My way is following you. My way is with you. You are the son of David. This is what Bartimaeus signifies by his actions. Next, instructive irony number two. We see the contrast between faith and faith's object. Or we could say it like this. Faith and faith's focus. Faith's focal point. Faith's target. Here we are rightfully forced to wrestle with two things because of Jesus' words in verse 52, where he says to Bartimaeus, go your way, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Now, you may hear that and think, well, wait a minute, 
your faith has made you well. I thought Jesus healed Bartimaeus, but I guess I was wrong. I guess it was, it was faith that, that, that healed blind Bartimaeus. Some impersonal, bland, generic, nondescript, nonsensical faith. It was just faith that healed Bartimaeus. That doesn't sound right. Of course that's not right. It was Christ who healed Bartimaeus. And we know this because, listen, you cannot rightly talk about faith. You cannot even rightly think about faith without thinking and talking about the object of faith, the focal point of faith, the focus of faith, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I remind you, listen, your faith is only as good as the thing you have faith in. Your trust, it is only as secure as the one you are trusting in. Your hope is only as certain and strong as the one that you are hoping in. Faith always points us outside of ourselves to the object of our faith. Yes, Bartimaeus' faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has made him well. Our faith, we must be reminded from this text, should never become untethered or disconnected from Christ, from the object of our faith. It is Christ and His Word and His promises that we are to put our faith and our hope and our trust in. And Bartimaeus reminds us of this truth. Which brings us lastly to our last irony is this. The connection and the tension between you, the reader, and Bartimaeus. The irony is there. The connection is there. In fact, I, I felt it all week. It is, it is there. It is lurking in the text. It is. It is lurking there in the text. In fact, the question is so obvious. It begs to be answered. What are you supposed to do with this story? What are you supposed to do with this true historical account of Jesus' interaction with Bartimaeus? What does God want you to see here? What are, what are we supposed to learn from Bartimaeus and from his life and from his example? So let me ask you a question. Let me give you a closing question, and just to warn you, this will give birth to other questions, but we'll start here at least. You can see it on your outline, this closing question. Can you in any way relate to Bartimaeus' desperate desire for Jesus? Or to ask the question another way, do you understand, do you see your great need for Jesus? Perhaps you are here this morning, And you have never realized, you have never thought about your sinfulness before. Perhaps you are here and you have never acknowledged that you need forgiveness. You do. You need grace. You need mercy. You have sinned. You have defied the living God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It is death. The wages of sin is death. We rightly deserve, we rightly earn death because of our rebellion, because of our our sin. Perhaps you've never 
thought about these kinds of realities. Perhaps you've never thought about and, and understood why Jesus came. What is his life all about? What is this cross thing all about? Good Friday. What is it all about? Why do we have crosses on the stage? Why do we think about the death of Jesus? Why do people describe it as the substitutionary atonement of Jesus? Because He stood in your place. He lived the life you could not live. You would not live. He died the death you deserve. Enduring the wrath of God and the penalty for your sin, He rose triumphant from the grave that we might have life in Him. So if this is you today, we plead with you. We beg of you to come to Christ. To call out in your heart, in your mind, to call out as Bartimaeus did for mercy and grace to help in your time of need. And Jesus is so gracious. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he was gracious and attentive to the cry of Bartimaeus. He will be attentive to your cry. He will. He will hear and he will heal those who come to him and faith and trust and humility before Him. So, do that, friends. If you have not called out to Christ, today is the greatest day that you could do that. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till Good Friday. Do it today. Call out to Christ. But, perhaps you are a believer. And you are here today and you recognize that in your heart and mind, there has at least been some level of complacency in your heart and mind, some level of laziness or indifference or distraction to the things of God. Perhaps you are a believer, but you are largely indifferent and unknowing and unaware of your constant need for Jesus' presence in your life. If so, let this passage be a wake-up call to you. Let this passage be a wake-up call to help you see your need for Christ. In his book entitled Deeper, uh, Dane Ortland writes about how important it is that we truly see on a continual basis our need for Christ. It is essential to our growth. He writes these words, One reason some Christians remain shallow their whole lives is they do not allow themselves ever more deeply throughout their lives to pass through the painful corridor of honesty about who they really are. The blackness within comes into clear focus only when we see it next to the white brightness of God Himself. As you despair of yourself, agonizing over the desolation wrought by your failures, your weaknesses, your inadequacies, uh, inadequacies, let that despair take you down deep into honesty within yourself. For there you will find a friend, the living Lord Jesus Himself, who will startle and surprise you with His gentle goodness as you leave self behind in repentance and bank on Him afresh in faith. Friend, do you remember that kind, compassionate question that Jesus asked to Bartimaeus? What do you want me to do for you? 
How would you answer that question today? What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you understand your need to be? If I could humbly suggest an answer to you, it would be something like this. What you need, what I need, what we should pray for, is more of Christ and much less of ourselves. We need to see again And we need to see more clearly the glory and the goodness of Jesus. We need to know more fully His love and the riches of His mercy towards us. And so in closing, I want, and I know I've been quote heavy this morning, but suffer me one more quote from a gentleman named Clarence uh, McCartney. As far as I know, he's not related to Paul McCartney, which is a shame. But writing about this passage, and the joy that Bartimaeus had in seeing the face of Jesus. In that moment, when Jesus healed him and his eyes were opened, that is what Bartimaeus beheld. The face of Christ and the goodness of of Jesus. And Clarence uh, McCartney writes about that joy, and he writes, brothers and sisters, about the joy That will one day be our joy when we in a more clear and full and glorious way see and behold the Lord Jesus Christ. So we close with these words. It will not be on the screens because I want you to just listen. He writes this. And for you and me too, that, referring to seeing Christ, will be the greatest of all sights. When we awake from the dream men call life, when we put off the image of the earth and break the bonds of time and mortality, when the scales of time and sense have fallen from our eyes and the garment of corruption has been put off, and when this mortality has put on immortality and this corruption has put on incorruption and we awaken in the everlasting morning, that will be the sight that will stir us and hold us. Brothers and sisters, this Easter season, what is it that is holding your attention? What is it that you look to to bring you peace and joy and security and safety? Do you know your need for Jesus? Do you desire Him? Or is He just a famous philosopher, an entertaining historical figure, an influential revolutionary, or is he king, your king? Is he Lord? Do you see him? Do you know him as the only true God, the gracious Savior, the faithful friend, the victorious Redeemer, the one living in you and through you for his glory? Do not settle for a low view of Jesus. Do not settle for a wrong, for a faulty, for an inadequate view of Jesus. Seek the one who is full of grace and truth and mercy today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do delight to be your children. We rejoice to know your grace. We we delight to be reminded of how glorious and good you are that it may give us strength for today.
that it may give us strength for every day to live for you and to walk for you. Lord, as we have considered the example of Bartimaeus, may we imitate his call for mercy. May we continually cry out for grace and mercy to help in time of need. May we, like Bartimaeus, be willing to throw off anything that would keep us from Christ. Let us not see anything as too dear to us that we would not forsake it in order to walk with Jesus. Lord, we pray that even now in this moment you would be bringing to our hearts and minds things that we should forsake, things that we should turn away from in order to delight in Christ, to walk with Him, to know Him in a more full and intimate way, for He is worthy. Lord, do this good work in us. Do it through us. Do it for our joy. Do it for Your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.